Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. So a little bit about me. I am a minister in training. So what I'm doing is I'm taking classes through the Assemblies of God, and if God is willing, someday I will be a minister. And it is through that process that I started reading a book of the Bible in a way that I had never read it before. And as you can see behind me, probably, that book is called Philemon. I didn't even know how to pronounce that word at first, and there's actually some debate about how you pronounce it, so we're going to go with Philemon. So we'll start with a quick confession. How many of you have actually read this book of the Bible? A couple. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? It's just like in the back, it's very small, and it, it, I don't know, it just seems weird to me. It always did. But this book is actually very profound. And sometimes it makes you wonder, like, if all the scriptures are really necessary for us to read. Like, maybe you could just skip Philemon. You know, it's January. People are probably doing that, like, 365. I'm going to read the whole Bible. I could skip a day. But this book, I'm telling you, if you dig into it, it's going to change the way you think about Paul's letters and perhaps your faith. So the big idea of the message is this. Paul's letter to Philemon is a radical example of God's transformative grace. Open your Bibles to Philemon, and then you can leave them there, because everything else that we're going to use, we should have on the screen behind me. We're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to go back through and kind of pick apart some parts of it that I hope will strengthen your faith. Philemon, starting on verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Excuse me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of the love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He especially so to me now but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Ephaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Isn't that a beautiful letter? When's the last time someone wrote you a letter? It's kind of a lost art, letter writing. Because when you sit down to write a letter, it requires precision. Because the expectation is that the person who gets the letter, you're not going to be there if they have a question about what you meant. So you have to organize your thoughts in such a way that the reader understands them. And so that's what we see in this letter. This was a thoughtful, personal letter that Paul was writing to his friend named Philemon. It was kind of long, so here's the Cliff Notes version. Paul writes to Philemon from a prison cell. Paul's actually incarcerated when he writes this letter. And the letter is concerning Onesimus, who is Philemon's runaway slave. And this letter, Philemon, was written at the same time as the letter to the Colossians. So, this letter actually starts in Colossians, chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servants in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything here. So Tychicus and Onesimus were likely the people who delivered Paul's letter from prison to Philemon. And this detail is important because this letter is largely about this fellow named Onesimus, the runaway slave who Paul wants to reconcile with his master. So we're going to get into the main text now. Philemon 1 through 2 says, To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you in peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the greeting to the letter. It's a standard greeting. But it's very important because we have to remember this was a real letter to a real person about a real matter, and we should consider this a historical document. We have records of a real letter from the first century. And it also says, and to the church that meets in your home, because this letter was actually written not just to Philemon, but the whole church. There was no room for privacy. And think of it like this. Pastor Dave's not here. He writes me a letter. But Evan reads the whole letter to the church to me. So it's kind of exposing here. So we don't have a custom like this in today's age. It's kind of like Facebook, perhaps, that somebody writes and puts a, a message on your page and everyone in the world can read it, or at least everyone in your church. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from our God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right away, Paul is saying, 
Philemon, I'm praying for you because what I'm going to ask you to do isn't natural. So if I was going to ask you a favor, and right before I asked you for that favor, I said, can we pray about this? You might be a little uncomfortable. Like, what is this guy going to ask me to do? Paul is up to something. Verses 4 through 7 are a continuation of that prayer where Paul is thanking God for his friendship with Philemon. Verse 4 says, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Verse 7, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And I don't know about you, but all those compliments are enough to make any man feel good about himself because deep down inside we're all gluttons for that especially men, telling a man how awesome he is is the fastest way to his heart and probably the best way to get him to do what you're asking him to do in the letter. Okay, But Paul is doing that for a very specific purpose. He's buttering Philemon up. He's buttering him up because he's going to go in for a big ask. Anyone who's been married knows this routine. Right? You get to ask your spouse for something big. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And and you don't just go right in because that's a suicide mission. You start with compliments, flowers, chocolates. It's helpful to butter someone up before you go in for the big ask. Because what Paul is about to do is ask Philemon to do something that in his culture, at the time this letter was written, would have been unheard of. Paul is going to ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus for being a runaway slave. And he's not just going to do that. He's actually going to ask him to treat him like a brother. This is a huge ask. Verse 8 says, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Do you know who I am? I'm the Apostle Paul. I could tell you what to do, but that's not what I'm going to do. He could have said, you will free Onesimus, your compliance is required, end of the letter. But he doesn't do that. He makes an appeal based on love, not authority. Because with authority, you tell someone to do something and they do it. But when you appeal to someone with love, you can still get that same compliance, but now you get to build a bond of unity and respect. So why is it important that Onesimus be returned to Philemon in the first place? Verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Paul considers Onesimus his own son, which is a figure of speech, because what Paul does is he refers to his converts as his children. So what Paul is trying to tell us is this, Onesimus got saved. Onesimus accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior during his time on the run. He is a new man now. Verse 11 says, Once he, Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. The name Onesimus literally means useful. And this was a common name for a slave in the first century, whether it was by birth or it was like a nickname that was given to them. It's kind of a cruel name. Your slave is called useful. But when you are a slave, you're just a tool for your master. And Onesimus was supposed to be useful. 
but he ran away. So he's useless now. Onesimus ran away from his captivity into the proximity of Paul, and that's where his entire story gets turned around. Onesimus was a useless slave until he met Jesus. And that's when everything changed. Through Jesus Christ, Onesimus was made useful again. He was restored to his name's sake. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We have to be careful not to take this passage too literally, because when we receive Christ, we're certainly a new creation, but it's not like we change physically. Like, the people you know will still be able to recognize you, but what they're going to see is the change in you. Another way to think of it is like restoration. And that's what happened to Onesimus. When you invite Jesus into your life, you can be restored to who you were always meant to be. With Jesus Christ, we can all go from useless to useful. The old has passed away. The new has come. At one point in our lives, we were all Onesimus. But the question this morning is, are you useful to God or are you useless? Have you been restored? At one time or another, we've all been slaves to sin. John 8.34 says, Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. At one point in our lives, we've probably all felt like Onesimus. We felt useless. But I am here to tell you this morning that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who created you. And there is a God who wants to restore you to who you were created to be. You can be useful again. And if God is calling out to you this morning, I urge you, let him restore you. Philemon has been restored. But now we're going to get to Paul's big request. Starting in verse 12. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed may not be out of obligation but your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you may get him back permanently. No longer as a slave but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. He especially is so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is asking Philemon to take Onesimus back and to treat him like a dearly loved brother. This is an amazing request because legally speaking, Philemon had the right to kill Onesimus. That was the penalty for being a runaway slave. It was death. So, Paul saying, hey, just don't kill this guy. That's kind of asking a lot. But what Paul is asking Philemon to do is a radical departure from what you would do in this culture. This is the part of the letter that can be a little controversial. Why didn't Paul just say, slavery is done? Abolish slavery altogether. It's a perfect time. It always kind of upset me that Paul didn't do that here. Because a lot of times, the secular world will use this 
chapter as a attack point to your faith. They said, well, the Bible doesn't condemn slavery. That's kind of true, actually. But then you start to wrestle with the Gospels, and you get a sense of why that is. The Gospel is not a revolutionary document. It's a transformative message. The Gospel changes people, not institution. It works on us one page at a time one prayer at a time, one confession at a time. Jesus did not die to change an institution or any institution. He died for people, for you, for me, for Philemon, for Onesimus, because these changed people, those are the instruments that God uses to change institutions, slavery included. So what Paul is doing here is radical. And it has cosmic consequences because he's changing people's eternity. Verse 7 through 18 says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has charged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Oftentimes the Bible talks about sin in financial terms. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And a way to think about sin is like this. It's like a credit card. You pull out the credit card, and every time you sin, it's like just charging it, and you charge it, and you charge it, and you keep on charging, and you keep on charging. Then the bill comes, and every due of the, the month, the balance comes, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Who can bear that? Then there's the interest. Sin has compound interest too, trust me. Like when you lie, they can get bigger and bigger Anger can get hotter and hotter. Jealousy, deeper and deeper. Negative self-talk, that can get louder and louder. Shame can be hidden further and further away. It's all sin and it all compounds. But then, you meet Jesus and your sins are forgiven. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your debts go away. It's really that simple. It's not easy but it's simple. The bills can stop coming. And what a great feeling it is when the bills stop coming. If you've ever dealt with a debt collector, they really are like Satan. They are. Because all they do is keep calling you up and reminding you, you owe this, you owe this, you owe this. But Jesus says, whatever debt you owe, charge that to my account. Your sins can be forgiven. Colossians 2.14 says, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's what God wants to do for you this morning. He wants to take your sins and nail them to a cross and leave them there. You have a Savior who loves you. And if you accept him, your sins are forgiven. You are restored. And what's amazing about grace is this. If this was the deal... You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your sins are forgiven. If that was the deal, it'd be the best deal you could possibly imagine. But like that infomercial guy on TV, but wait, there's more. There is more. When grace enters your life, not only are you restored to who you want to be, who you were meant to be, but now you get to be useful again. You will get opportunities to work in God's kingdom that's a better deal. 
Paul is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus because he was first forgiven. Paul is asking for Philemon to do for Onesimus what Jesus has already done for you, for me. Jesus tells a parable about grace that spreads in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I kind of told a fib. I don't have this one back here, so I'll read it to you. But you can stay in Philemon if you want, or if you can flip quickly over to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. So this parable that we're about to read speaks directly to the situation that Philemon finds himself in when he's reading this letter or having it read to him for the first time. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Philemon's like, okay. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay that debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me. I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported it to their master. Everything that had happened, excuse me. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. So this is where Paul, he is being friendly, but he's kind of playing the heavy. He's like, Philemon, if you don't honor my request, you're going to look just like that guy, the unforgiving servant. Because when you are forgiven, it only makes sense to pass that forgiveness forward. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. Grace is contagious. And now we're going to look down to the end of the letter, which will again remind us that the Bible is grounded in the real world. Paul signs the letter for himself and a small group of disciples who are with him. But I want to focus on the very last line. Verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There is not one wasted phrase in God's word. This sign-off is not just like a sincerely, like a platitude, a sign-off. Paul ends his letter with an appeal to God's grace because what Paul is asking Philemon to do is not natural. It's not natural for us to be forgiving to people who have wronged us. There is no way Philemon could honor Paul's request 
without the grace of Jesus Christ. Without this grace, how could you do anything like that? How could you not only forgive, but love? How could you turn disunity into unity? How can a useless person become useful again? The answer is verse 25. When the grace of Jesus Christ is with your spirit. So that's it. That's Paul's letter to Philemon. There's so much packed into just a little tiny letter. It's like 300 words in the Greek. And we could close in prayer and go home, but one question still remains. Was the letter received as it was intended to be received? Verse 21 says, Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So did Philemon do that? Did he do even more than he was asked to do? Well, the very fact that we have the letter is the first piece of evidence that he did. So they bring him the letter. Philemon reads it. Says, well, Paul's in prison. What's he going to do about it? Rips it up, throws it away. We wouldn't have the letter. We have it intact. That suggests that Philemon, his mind was blown. He, he said, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? He said, Onesimus, free. There is a lot of church tradition that suggests that the Philemon we read about in this letter, I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, Onesimus, the names are hard sometimes, went on to become a bishop in the early church. And some Christian traditions actually have a feast on Onesimus Day. It's in February sometime. So we can strongly trust that Onesimus went on to do great things for the kingdom. Philemon allowed him to be restored. And you want to know what happened to Onesimus if he became this bishop? He was stoned to death and he died a martyr's death. In this scenario, Onesimus became useful to God even to the point of death. The letter to Philemon pushes back against the idea that all the scriptures are thick and they're dense and they're high-minded. This personal letter shows that so much of following Jesus is thoughtful. It's personal. It's motivated by prayer. And so much of our Christian lives is downstream of the grace that we've already received. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. If we all do what Paul asked Philemon to do, the church will be a place that just overflows with truth and grace and forgiveness. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do we do that? How do we love one another? With grace and forgiveness, like Philemon and his former slave. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual... Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
this letter encourages us to be a people who live our lives together in fellowship. We have a lot of examples right here at this church. We have life groups coming up in the spring. You can get involved in that and share in the truth of God with your brothers and sisters. We have prayer meetings scheduled every month. We had one yesterday. There was a dozen men across the way praying together. And I'll tell you, when I left that thing, my spirit was just overflowing. It's a beautiful thing. There's ways to get involved. There's ways to love each other. When people are grieving, we cook for one another. We do meal trains. Okay? We give our tithes and our offerings. It'd be easier to keep our own money, keep our own food. We attend Sunday service. We worship God together. We need to be the kind of church that is marked by sharing in grace and truth. Amen? If you remember anything that we talked about this morning, please remember this. At one time, we were all Onesimus, just a runaway slave. But there was someone who loved us and restored us. And through the power of the resurrection, we can be useful again. Through Jesus Christ, you can be who you were created to be. You can be useful again. And through God's radical grace, you can be restored. Father, I thank you for this service this morning. God, I pray that when we read through your scriptures, we'll always be able to see you at the end of it. God, I pray as my brothers and sisters, they go through their week, their month, their year, they will just be overflowing with the truth of the gospel, that your grace is real and it is restorative. And God, I just pray that everyone in this room can be useful to you in your ways. And I thank you for them. And I hope everyone has a blessed and healthy week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. Have a, have a great week. Thank you.